arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. The Spider and the Fly by Mary Hobbit Will you walk into my parlor? said the spider to the fly. Tis the prettiest little parlor that ever you did spy. The way into my parlor is up a winding stair, and I have a many curious things to show when you are there. Oh no no, said the little fly, to ask me is in vain, for who goes up your winding stair can never come down again. I'm sure you must be weary, dear, with soaring up so high. Will you rest upon my little bed? said the spider to the fly. There are pretty curtains drawn around, the sheets are fine and thin, and if you like to rest a while, I'll snugly tuck you in. Oh no no, said the little fly, for I've often heard it said, they never, never wake again, who sleep upon your bed. Said the cunning spider to the fly, Dear friend, what can I do to prove the warm affection I've always felt for you? I have within my pantry good store of all that's nice. I'm sure you're very welcome. Will you please to take a slice? Oh, no, no, said the little fly. Kind sir, that cannot be. I've heard what's in your pantry and I do not wish to see. Sweet creature, said the spider, you're witty and you're wise. How handsome are your gauzy wings, how brilliant are your eyes. I have a little looking glass upon my parlor shelf. If you'll step in one moment, dear, you shall behold yourself. I thank you, gentle sir, she said, for what you are pleased to say, and bidding you good morning now, I'll call another day. The spider turned him around about and went into his den, for well he knew the silly fly would soon come back again. So he wove a subtle web in a little corner sly, and set his table ready to dine upon the fly. Then he came out to his door again, and merrily did sing, Come hither, hither, pretty fly, with a pearl and silver wing. Your robes are green and purple, there's a crest upon your head. Your eyes are like the diamond bright, but mine are dull as lead. Alas, alas, how very soon the silly little fly, hearing his willy, Flattering birds came slowly fleeting by. With buzzing wings she hung aloft, then near and nearer drew, thinking only of her brilliant eyes and green and purple hue. Thinking only of her crested head, poor foolish thing at last. Up jumped the cunning spider and fiercely held her fast. He dragged her up his winding stair into his dismal den, within his little parlor, but she never came out again. And now, dear little children, who may the story read? To idle, silly, flattering words, I pray you never give heed. Unto evil counselor, close heart and ear and eye, and take a lesson from this tale of the spider and the fly.
The Spider and the Fly. Indeed. This episode will highlight the direct confrontation of Ariana and Cobb. At the same time, there are huge irregularities at the Turcot IP5 plant. Just who tried to kill Cobb with the bomb on the 60th floor? And Joe Lockheed is still missing. Also in this episode, Cobb and Patno enter the magnificent Turcot estate. Here is episode three of the Dust of Mars Harry Cobb series by Robert P. Fitton. Chapter 11. I slept most of the six hours to the Whittemore Dome, located at the edge of a shadowed crater in the western Elysium Planitia. I constantly checked for Chubb as I left the tram. He must have planted that pulsar and probably left the planet by now. I stared through the silcoplast, as did rafts of tourists at the overlook into the crater's shadowed rim. Theories about the rap murder bobbed within my head, producing a general agitation and uneasiness I didn't like. Along the ramp, the sunlight dabbed across the rusty crater rocks. I was no closer to absolving Ariana of complicity in the rap murder when I left for Livingston. Nor could I discount Desmond or Oakley sharing in the cover-up. My zip beeped, and the window indicated Max had memoed from Earth. I picked up my containment and walked over to the windows, lining the retaining wall. In the afternoon sunshine, I connected to Earth frequency. Max and Jody were in a hotel room overlooking Baltimore's skyline. Max? I just got word from Sadie, Harry. Are you all right? I'm unscathed. You do not appear damaged, said Jody. Ever the tactful one said Max, rolling his eyes. I do not possess your ability to confabulate, she said. Try it sometime. You'll like it. I moved my hands. Whoa, whoa, hold it. What's your status? Max stepped in front of Jody. Samantha Evans' brother reported her missing when she failed to return on a trip from Platinum City to the Vegas colony. The story about blood on the sidewalk was bogus. That was six years ago, in October. The brother is dead. Said Jody. Max's mouth twisted. My plan, Harry, is to do some background work on Rap and Evans here in Baltimore. I also have more detailed requests on Ariana. Well, I'm not sure that's a good idea. We need to know if she had a reason to kill Rap. I would suggest the link between Rap and Evans. Said Jody. We don't know that. It's possible only because they were both from Baltimore. I'm heading to a little hotel here called the Dunstable. I plan to confront Ariana right here. Well, be careful, said Max. What about Rennie? He's looking into the credit thing, why Evans' credit exists, yet she hasn't been seen in six years. Well, there's a link, said Max. We'll find it. I cut the zip and pulled it from the window. The Whittemore Dome reflected the reduced Martian sun. I chose to walk a full kilometer to the dome. While I was dozing on the tram, I had wondered about Ariana and the torn tea suit. I could not remove the images of her white gloves from my mind, nor would I forget the incriminating peek at her bare arm through the open door. A cold, burned arm would nail her for the murder of Jason Rapp. A short conversation with Patino reminded me Lockheed, who stuffed his tea suit into an IP-7 eliminator after falling Rapp into the desert, had not yet surfaced. I could not explain his ditching the suit and strongly felt Desmond had granted him shelter somewhere within the Turquoise properties. 
I ambled from the tram platform above a compact arboretum on the outskirts of the dome. I had mixed feelings about Oakley. His shooting of the security men seemed more than an act of fear, but I didn't know his personality well enough, so I left myself a memo to follow up. The buildings and sprawl were more apparent behind the arboretum trees. Whittemore was overbuilt, and I preferred the well-planned preservation at Livingston. I knew I risked nixing the rekindled relationship with Ariana if I asked her directly about Samantha Evans. After scanning the hotel records on my zip, I found Ariana had booked a conference patio at the Pelican Resort. An hour later, I located her with three clients atop a long, musty wooden staircase. The patio was nestled within an array of green hebons and tropical plants from Earth. She was dressed casually in khaki slacks, a blue jersey unbuttoned at the top, and brown hiking boots. The resort maps showed some hiking trails, but I figured her attire was purely ornamental. My heart pounded quicker than during my harrowing experience on the ledge. As I finally skirted around the glass table, I watched her animated dialogue with two women and a man. She first saw me out of the corner of her eye and initially appeared shocked, but recovered instantly with a huge smile. Harry, my God. I'm sorry to disturb you, Ariana. She stood and approached me quickly. I was surprised when she thrust her arm around me. Everyone, this is my good friend, Harry Cobb. I gazed at her arm, but didn't see any scratches or abrasions. I do apologize. No need to. Please join us. Oh, no, I don't want to disturb a business meeting. She maintained a wide smile, but I sensed it was a cover. Both her first reaction to my presence and her patronizing attitude concerned me. I sensed a confrontation when she asked her guest indulgence and steered me across the fieldstone. I must say I'm just slightly surprised to see you here. Well, why is that? I asked, noting her annoyance with me. I thought we agreed to meet upon my return. You don't want to see me? I asked. Her voice was now tight and tense. You didn't answer my question. Why are you here? Do you know Samantha Evans? The question hit her like an opening artillery barrage of an important battle. Her brow creased. Samantha was a tramp. She moved in on my relationship with Henry Caldwell. She lost and I won. I see. Why the hell would you show up here and ask me that? I didn't know how far I could push the questioning. Well, I'm investigating the death of a man named Jason Rapp. I waited for a reaction, but she looked confused. He was murdered with Caldwell's pinpoint pulser. I never heard of Jason Rapp. In fact, I'm taken aback, Harry. You whine and dine me, and then try to get something going again, just for the sake of your damned investigation? Well, that's not true. Appearances would indicate that. Why don't you head back to Livingston and leave me alone? Again, I scrutinized the skin on her right arm. Maybe the tea suit ripped after she left the desert or when she entered the rover. Perhaps she wasn't involved in the rap murder at all. I just jeopardized my chances with her. I didn't apologize as she faced the table, but my intuition told me she was still a suspect. What do you know about Caldwell's pinpoint pulser? She stopped and didn't turn for a few seconds, then abruptly marched up to me. You're a son of a bitch. Well, maybe I am. You are. I figured you for more than a low-life gumshoe. I don't carry a pulser, and if I did, it wouldn't be Henry Caldwell's pulser, because Henry Caldwell is dead. But you probably already know that. 
As far as self-defense, I have a spray block. Do you want to see it? No. Goodbye, Harry. Enjoy the rest of your life. She stomped back to the table. No one said anything or flinched as she sat. A few seconds later, the older man to her left leaned forward. Does this mean we shouldn't change our policies? We'll talk business later, she said, looking over her shoulder at me. Her dark eyes touched me for a moment before I pivoted toward the escalator, but her defensive posture unnerved me. I descended the escalator and questioned why she had so easily volunteered information about Caldwell. I had seen criminals ratchet up interrogations when they were aware that I already possessed the facts. Salesmen use that tactic to overcome objections to products. I gazed over my shoulder toward the patio garden. She not only had admitted to knowing Evans, but even claimed that she somehow beat her in some odd lover's competition. I walked off the escalator quickly, entered an alcove with several windows, and plugged in my zip, but tightened my face when I looked upstairs. I was mysteriously in love with Ariana, and had just circuitously accused her of murdering Jason Mrapp, and she knew it. Inside the window, Patno appeared at a restaurant with Gwen amidst a table of patrons and darting waiters. I apologize, Gwen. I'm used to it, Harry, after 25 years, said Gwen, her white hair styled perfectly. We are looking good tonight, Gwenny. For the price I paid for that hair set, she should look nice. Oh, stop it, you, said Gwen. What's up, Harry? I swallowed and tried to gather my thoughts. The image of Ariana in the Excelsior restroom stuck like an advertisement banner in my head. I just confronted Ariana about the rap murder. Well, what did she say? She admitted up front to knowing Evans and being Caldwell's lover. Well, not in so many words. Patnold nodded and leaned toward the window. I can't get Samantha Evans's credit records without a court order. Well, I'm having Rennie use his sources. I'm a little sick of the Turcotte's behavior in this. I should say, specifically, Desmond. I know. I'm scheduled to meet with him in the morning. I want to know what went on in IP5. I pounded the table. You're damn right. At the minimum. He's hiding Lockheed. I'd bet my life on it. As far as Oakley goes, he needs to answer questions because he was aware enough of IP5's follow-ups and concerned enough to tell his wife. Patno pointed his finger and squinted. As far as Oakley goes, I think he needs to answer questions because he was aware enough of the IP5 follow-ups and concerned enough to tell his wife. Patino pointed his finger and squinted. I think Oakley wanted Rap dead because of the affair with his wife. Oakley is a hard-working, emotional guy with a temper. Ariana and her clients moved down the escalator. Well, what makes you think he didn't kill Rap? I talked to Patino but stared at the escalator. Pulsar, how would he get Caldwell's pulsar? Ariana gabbed and looked relaxed. I faced Patnome. I want you to check the shuttle records around the time that Burroughs was killed. I did. Nothing on Evans, and I'm sorry, nothing on Ariana. I'd like to talk to Desmond myself. Just because the Turcots own half the planet, transport lines, and the solar system investment. Well, that's a mouthful, said Patnome, as the waitress brought him a mammoth piece of strawberry-glazed cheesecake. You mean what I said or the cheesecake? Both. I'm calling the Bureau if Desmond doesn't start talking. I have to call Max, I said, as Ariana moved less than ten meters away through the lobby, but didn't see me tucked in the alcove. I want to know more about Amalgamated Surities. Who works for her? What things have they invested in? How about a connection to I-5? 
IP5? Asked Patno, and then he pushed a smooth piece of cheesecake into his mouth. Good point. Desmond and Ariana know each other socially. Well, I'll check that on my end, too. I'll let you two enjoy the rest of your meal. Take care, Harry, said Gwen. Yeah, stay away from any inverted pulsers. Oh, I just love walking along a one-meter ledge 60 stories up. Keeps me on my toes. Good night. I leaned out of the alcove. Ariana and her people entered the central elevator and the doors closed. My gut told me to tailor her, but my heart told me to leave her alone. I memoed Sadie with a general update and request for information about amalgamated sureties. For a few seconds, I weighed my options and decided to stay at Whittemore. Working on a tip from the hotel desk clerk, I located Ariana three hours later. She sat at a booth window inside a dimly lit bar a few blocks from the hotel. Amplifiers were illegal when used without a court permit. I risked prosecution when I activated the little disc in my ear. A man named Miller was spewing out figures like a ship's ion trail. I at first thought that he was an accountant, but soon surmised a closer relationship with Ariana. She chatted with him in a lower voice as if she had known him for a while. I noted nothing of significance and backed away from her world of figures, investment, and policy numbers. Less than ten minutes later, she pranced down the avenue away from the hotel. I followed at a discreet distance and wondered why she quickly ascended the tram steps. I hid behind the shrubs until she reached the top platform, and then I hopped onto the opposite escalator. She paced quickly at the Livingston tram connection. I immediately memoed the front desk to ship my containment back to the Dillon, and I secured a Livingston ticket on my credit scan. The Livingston tram hummed to the platform ten minutes later. I opted to enter through the rear section eight cars behind Ariana. When I settled into my recliner, I plugged my zip into the window and called the field unit between the Dillon and the Excelsior. The tram smoothly exited the platform and crossed the darkened dome. Within ten minutes, we had left the dome and traversed the shadowed, rock-covered plain. I checked with the field unit playback storage and used a considerable amount of charm to cajole the personnel. They scanned for anyone who had come to the unit within the past 48 hours for treatment of a cold burn, but no one was recently treated for a cold burn. I leaned back in the recliner, shut off the overhead hebon, and shook my head. I still suspected Ariana, but had to prove whether she left Orbitus or was on the colony when Rapp was killed. I needed to track her exact moments, but I also wanted checks from Patno on the private flights to and from Orbitus. I scanned the listings for other field units inside Livingston, and from the middle of the darkened desert I placed a call to a little facility on Livingston's fringe. A late shift attendant informed me that a blonde-haired woman came in two nights ago for a cold-burned injury. Well, what color eyes, I asked, thinking of the lens found in the rover. Well, I don't know, uh, but I do know she was burned near the waist and received a beveled surgery graft, visible only with magnifiers. Name of the patient? Well, I'm not supposed to give you this, but it says Wanda Mullen, paid in droits, with a genetic sample taken. No, sir. All under the table. Damn. I stroked my bristly chin. I would gain nothing unless I actually walked up eight cars and placed a magnifier over Ariana's wrist. Going to a remote facility under an assumed name and paying with droits was very clever, and a perfect way to alleviate the unanticipated wrist injury. 
a court edict could order a magnifier scan, but I also knew Patno would have little chance of obtaining the edict quickly. I memoed Sadie after I did a negative preliminary check on the name Wanda Mullen. Although I believed the name usage purely spontaneous, I wanted Max and Rennie to use their sources. I slouched in the tram's recliner's fallow light and constructed a scenario in my head that allowed Ariana to kill Rap. I assumed that she had left Orbitus on a private flight, and I attributed the rented rover to a miscalculation. She erroneously thought the trams were available to chase Rap into the desert, and she believed that anyone could anonymously rent a rover using droids. Nor could she anticipate the coal burn. Somehow, she returned inconspicuously to Orbitus and resumed her normal business activities. In a court of law, I would need witnesses to corroborate her day on Orbitus. But getting her into court required evidence and suspicion of wrongdoing. All I had right now was speculation. At three in the morning, I was awakened by the deceleration beeps and immediately sprang from my recliner. I stumbled down the aisle and held the side rail down the tram steps. Interrogating Ariana was the only way to find out the truth. I left the tram, crossed the empty platform, and glanced at the half-lit Livingston building. But my main concern now was Ariana's pending departure from the tram. I slipped behind one of the white support poles and rubbed my lips against my beard stubble as I waited for the passengers to disembark. After a few minutes, it was readily apparent she was still on the tram. I bounded back up the stairs into the last car and slid past an old man sleeping down back. A young woman glanced at me as I passed. The next car was empty, but through the silcoplast, I saw Ariana enter the enclosed port elevator. She was safely inside and rising above the platform before I could even leave the car. Was she heading to the port? With the meeting at Whittemore, it was possible her business was complete. To leave in the middle of the night after a confrontation with me was unusual. I thought about calling Patno or perhaps even trailing her. But Patno could do little without evidence. If she was hiding something, I was helpless to find it. Chapter 12 I walked briskly into Security Station 15 at 4 p.m., after sleeping long enough for my overnight containment to arrive from Whittemore. Patino told me that Oakley was arrested by Kranz and his zealous troopers inside a small hotel at the Southern Dome only minutes after my arrival at the Livingston platform. Some question remained as to whether Kranz had roughed him up on the way to the detention rooms. Oakley had requested a Turcotte lawyer, which I found interesting, and refused all cooperation with Patno's investigation. I memoed Sadie about the Oakley arrest and popped into Patno's office. Patno sat at the edge of his desk and gripped his Jaffron mug. Desmond has personally dispatched one of Alton Bardsley's people to handle Oakley's case. There's more to this than Oakley firing at those two security people. There has to be. One would think so, but we might not be seeing this level of activity if Rap hadn't been killed on Turcotte property. John, I still say they can hide Lockheed, and there's nothing we can do about it. Patno rounded the desk to his beeping desk window. Here's that information on Ariana. Ms. where the trouble lies. I'd stake my life she walked into that field unit and paid in droits for that cold burn. What the hell do you want me to do? Arrest her and scan the arm? Yeah, I smiled, and so did he. What have you got? Okay, 
Ariana traveled under her own name to Orbitus this morning, and she wasted no time in boarding a ship to Platinum City. Sure, she's going home. Patno looked out the window one more time and sat at the edge of the desk. Look, Harry, don't think I'm discounting what you've told me about Ariana. I find that damned Evans thing bizarre. He counted on his thumb and fingers. Number one, Evans disappearing is completely convenient to somebody. Number two, Ariana shared Evans's lover, Caldwell, the owner of the pinpoint that killed Rapp and Burroughs. That stirs the pot further. I've had the zip scan for common things between Rapp and Burroughs, but I've come up with absolutely nothing. I understand that, John. And the Evans credit request is stalled in the courts because of overlapping jurisdiction. Well, Rennie will break through that. Well, Rennie has served time in various detention confines on three occasions, said Patno, crossing his arms. That's why he works for me. I tell him what I want, and he gets it. Careful you don't get yourself into trouble. His zip sounded. Yes, what is it? Inspector, Mrs. Oakley has arrived in the detention confines. Thank you. He shut off the memo and faced me. You want to talk to her? Sure. I want to talk to her, and I want to talk to Desmond directly at the Turcotte Dome. Yes, I understand that. We'll see what he makes of our request. Come on, let's go. Get ready for this one, Harry. Mrs. Oakley had short, dark hair, a tall, lean frame accentuating her tight blue bodysuit. Her bedroom eyes sent out signals of availability, and I understood how she could easily reel in a cad-like rap, especially inside an orbitist gambling room hours away from her husband on the planet. She looked me over. Patnote seemed taken aback when she took his hand, and her low voice only added to her persona. Inspector... I'm afraid I started all this. Patno pulled back his hand and glanced down the hall. Our Mrs. Oakley. Kara. Kara. He turned. Do you have a lawyer or are you getting a lawyer? Jim's getting a Turcotte lawyer, she said, checking me out. Well, what I'm saying is you might want legal counsel before I start asking you questions. Her eyelids dipped and she spoke slowly rather than seductively. I'm perfectly capable of speaking for myself. She ran her fingers along Patino's shirt cuff. I no doubt you are. Why don't you uh, tell me about Jason Rapp? I noted she did not seem affected by her husband's arrest. Oh, Jason was a unique individual. He gave me nights of pleasure. Then you did have an affair with him. Oh, yes, yes. Affair is a minimal description of what he could do. Ah, yeah, well, that's nice, said Patno. Then your official statement is that you had an affair with Jason Rapp. Officially, yes. I stepped forward and tried not to follow the bodysuit curves. Mrs. Oakley, what did you tell Jason Rapp about the problems in the Turcotte plant, number five? She furrowed her smooth brow and Patno pointed at me. This is uh, Harry Cobb, a private investigator. He's in here with me. What aspect of me would you like to investigate, Mr. Cobb? She asked and pushed her fingers up through her hair, tightening the bodysuit fabric around her chest. I had dealt with too many coy little flirts in my career. Well? Why don't you start by answering my damn question, I said loudly. Her eyes widened and her voice was reduced to a more civil tone. Well, Jim told me... 
night after night that they were in big trouble. How so? IP5 refines ore for shipment around the solar system, she said. We're all aware of how the plant functions, I replied. What happened that Jason Rapp was able to blackmail your husband? He did blackmail your husband, didn't he, Mrs. Oakley? Yes, he did. I nodded and moved closer to the long bodysuit. Just what the hell was happening in that plant? You don't have to answer that, said Cran, sticking his oversized head around the corner, and he burst inside. He was followed by a more formal man with silky gray hair and clad in a green suko with yellow trim and buttons. I have a turquoise lawyer with me, Kara. You say nothing. Well, why don't you let her decide that, I said as my fist clamped. May I go? she asked. I have no further questions, said Patno. She pressed her thin lips as she left the room as if she were walking down the stage of a beauty pageant. The woman was in trouble, and I was glad she was gone. Kranz seemed more sure of himself. Maybe it was the presence of the lawyer. His eyes twinkled when he spoke. I will defer all inquiries to Counsel Emmons. Any alleged Turquot business dealings are to be handled in a purely legalistic forum, said Emmons. Spoken like a true lawyer. Do you ever think that what happened at IP5 might have some bearing on this murder investigation? I asked. I have no comment at this time. I thought him aloof, sarcastic, but competent. Do you work directly for Alton Bardsley? I am a part of the Bardsley team, yes. I nodded at Patno. I see. I want to speak with Oakley. That's a good idea, said Patno. I'm afraid Mr. Oakley will have nothing to say to you, said Emmons. I now moved directly up to Emmons and peered into his hazel, bloodshot eyes. You're a part of the Turcotte team. Mr. Oakley has requested your representation? Mr. Oakley is a Turcotte employee, sir. So what? Are you an official here? Because if you're not, I would advise that you not harass my client. Patnold left the room and chatted on his zip as he paced the outer office. My frustration with Desmond and his legal drones mounted. You tell Desmond I want to see him. Emmons squinted. I suggest you handle any communications with Mr. Turcott. You got a damned answer for everything, don't you? Patno appeared in the doorway. Mr. Emmons only represents the Turcott business interests via Mr. Bardsley. I would advise him to respond to Mr. Cobb's questions in a more ethical and forthright manner. I will officially protest this in any court proceeding. We'll worry about court proceedings when they occur, said Patno. Emmons's face flattened, but his eyes darted between Patno and me. He picked up his containment case and exited the room, followed by Kranz. Patno motioned with his head and we veered into the side corridor. John, I'm heading over to the Turcot Dome when I'm done here. I'm sick of all this nonsense. Well, I don't blame you, Harry. We entered a small elevator cleared security, and traveled down three floors to the narrow detention corridor. Rows of white lattice bars covered the individual detention cells. The sandy-haired Oakley sat in the corner cell. He was a rangy man, now clad in a yellow detention suit and dark boots. His chiseled face had aged lines around his angled nose. Scanners on, said Patno, and the red lights glowed on the cell window scanner frames. Mr. Oakley, I have Mr. Cobb here. He's working with me on the rap murder. 
You have the right to counsel and the right against self-incrimination. Well, Mr. Emmons said he represented my interests, but I didn't officially hire him, said Oakley in a clear voice. A strict pronunciation of his R's indicated he was either born on Mars or had worked here for a long time. He gazed at the overhead scanner. What do you want to know, Mr. Cobb? I held the lattice. Did you kill Rap? No, but I wanted to. You were out there. You fled and you shot two Livingston security men. The evidence is overwhelming, Oakley. Oakley's Adam's apple moved up and down as he swallowed and approached the lattice. The man was involved with my wife. I caught my wife talking to him on her zip. I monitor all her zip communications. <laughs> I'm not surprised, I said. Rapp's plan was to meet with Lockheed and then rendezvous with Kara at Livingston. I knew when he was landing on the Arbutus shuttle. Yes, I followed him into the desert, right to IP-5 where I work. Bad storm was brewing. He spoke with Joe and then he left on the IP-7 connector. Yes, I followed them out there. Them? asked Patnell. Joe left right after Rap into the dust storm. I crossed my arms. Then where the hell is Lockheed? Did he kill Rap? Desmond must have him tucked away somewhere so he doesn't have to answer any of my IP5 questions. You think he killed Rap? Rap was blackmailing him because of your wife and told him something was wrong in IP5. I'm convinced Rap's knowledge of the problem was minimal. His ability to con people was unmatched. You're right, Mr. Cobb. Kara only knew we were having problems out there, and Joe was in the middle of it. I glanced at Patno. He cleared his throat and faced Oakley. Tell us about those problems. That gentleman I cannot do. Mr. Emmons has requested I not address those issues. Oh, come on, I said, and I threw up my hands as I turned away from the lattice. Damn it, Oakley, we're trying to find out why Rapp was murdered. Although at this point, I see no reason to continue on this case. Oh, Desmond hired you, according to Emmons. I turned, but I didn't walk back. Well, that's about ready to come to its appropriate end. Oakley now gripped the lattice near Patno. Mr. Cobb, I wanted to kill him. If the storm hadn't been so bad, I probably would have killed him, but I didn't. Now I approached him. Then why did you shoot the security men? They went after me on orders from Kranz. I had no choice. I'm not stupid. I heard what happened to Rap. My plan was to leave the planet. My advice is to get yourself a private lawyer. You have everything stacked against you. Do you think I killed Jason Rapp? Asked Oakley. Damn well doesn't matter what I think. I'm going to meet with Desmond and give him a piece of my mind, have dinner, and return to Orbitus. Well, I, I need you to clear my name. I took a few steps down the corridor and kept my back to him. Get yourself a lawyer. His voice echoed outward. Come on, Mr. Cobb. The tightening in my throat was clear enough evidence he didn't kill Rap. But I knew if I went after the real killer, I would become involved in an entanglement leading to an Ariana Cervantes. I marched back to the lattice. I don't know what I can, as one man, do. Fear for my life, Mr. Cobb. Patno gestured as he spoke. The detention corridors are constantly scanned, but there are people who can get to you. I looked into Oakley's eyes. You're afraid they'll kill you because what you know about IP-5. I can't tell you. I understand that. IP-5's problems only impact the commitment of the crime. I stroked my chin 
and stared at Patton and then faced Oakley. I don't work for free, Mr. Oakley. Well, I have savings. I knew my true motivation, besides clearing Oakley, whom I, whom I deemed innocent, was delving into my suspicions about Ariana. I'll see what I can do. You need to find Joe Lockheed. Well, where is he? I asked bluntly. I think only Desmond can answer that. Chapter 13 Patno commanded a robobus into the Turcotte Dome. After we exited Livingston, I was stunned to learn Oakley was so quickly arraigned for the murder of Jason Rapp. Patnoe, his face red from arguing with Kranz, held his zip close to his ear and continued the discussion with Richard Merritt, a court magistrate. Then I'll request a warrant to search Oakley's habitat. No, I don't know that. Thank you. He slowly lowered the zip from his ear and set it on his lap as the rover bus bounced along the Turcotte Road. Kranz already obtained the warrant while we were questioning Oakley. Who promoted that idiot? I would have discharged him a hundred times had I constantly worked with him in the Bureau. He's a Turcotte drone. I hear you, but there's nothing I can do about Kranz right now. He gazed out the Robobus clear silicoplast. I saw the tinted Turcotte dome, nearly half the size of Livingston. Privately building even a small dome represented wealth and power. The Turcotte ability to utilize the planet's raw resources into a viable export product was unchallenged for 75 years. An empire now existed around the inner solar system, with facilities on Phobos and the asteroids, and markets extending directly to Earth and porters. As anger boiled inside, I studied the smaller connecting maintenance domes. Desmond Turcotte, more than his brother or his father, thought he deserved special treatment and with a sense of pride, tacitly declared himself beyond everybody else's rules and regulations. When I worked for the Bureau, we established a Turcotte link to the Devon Syndicate, but because of his superb legal representation, we never prosecuted. I'm frankly surprised Desmond would allow us into Emerald City. I grinned. You know he has us out here because of an ulterior motive that has nothing to do with being gracious. I can't wait to hear what he has up his sleeve. Maybe he'll produce Joe Lockheed. And he sent Jared safely away in the Caribbean. I tried getting a hold of him, but his zip is off. Well, looks like Desmond has us right where he wants us. The gray Victorian estate's awnings extended from the upper windows, and the sloping porch provided a splendid illusion of a late 19th century earth mansion. A perfectly sheared grass lawn spread outward to red stables near distant trees along a white arena fence. I stepped from the rover bus and glanced at Patno. I'd almost swear I was on earth. Three Turcotte servants worked on the porch. Desmond sat casually with Alton Bardsley on white wicker furniture. Two blonde women were at the adjacent table. Patno nudged my ribs. Desmond's wife must be off planet again. Desmond's penchant for beautiful women is well known. Well, that's an understatement. The man is a tomcat. A short man in a red suko quickly scampered down the porch stairs. I recognized his parted hair and twirled mustache. Harry Cobb! Rudy, still keeping the Turcots happy? Always, he said, glancing at Patno. John? Rudy, what kind of mood is he in? asked Patno. Well, let's just put it this way, he said, shaking our hands. Annette is off-planet as of last night. 
Ah, I understand, said Patno, and we started across the grass. John, I know I can get you some Jaffron. Harry? Bourbon. Get me a bourbon. Bourbon it is. Patno raised his bushy brows. I half smiled as I spoke. If I'm a guest of the Turcots, I might as well tap into his private stock. Ah, a plan. We need a plan. Desmond and Barsley both stood as we neared the porch steers. Ah, here we go. I may just need that bourbon. Cobb and Patno. Sounds like a law firm, Alton. Or perhaps a business name, said Desmond. I stopped on the painted floorboards and glanced at the blonde woman ahead. Desmond once had athletic potential, but now his face was flabby. You're looking fit, Desmond. Good living will do that to you, Harry. Then what's your secret, I asked, and Bardsley grinned. Ha, funny, said Desmond, pointing at me. He watched Rudy bring the Jaffron and the bourbon. Becoming part of the fast track, the case must be unnerving you. Rudy's eyes opened, and he placed the full glass of bourbon in my hand. (laughs) Do I detect a little hostility? You detect a lot of hostility, I said, and I moved closer. (laughs) Comes with your territory. Desmond motioned to the shorter gray-haired Bardsley. Bardsley had a perpetual smirk. You know my lawyer, Alton Bardsley. Desmond cut the formalities. Without Alton, we might be talking in another place. Desmond laughed and tilted back his head. But we're not. (laughs) Jim Oakley was just indicted for Rapp's murder, I said. You wouldn't know anything about that, would you, Alton? Working with the courts is my livelihood, John. Oakley looks pretty guilty to me. I wasn't going to tolerate either Desmond or Bardley's theatrics. Tell me about Ariana Cervantes. Desmond's smile fell with my broadside comment, and he raised his brow. (laughs) You ought to be able to answer that question better than I. And do you know Samantha Evans, I asked. What the hell are you talking about? Who is she, and what does she have to do with anything? More than we all think. I stepped closer. Why are you hiding Joe Lockheed? His blue eyes moistened. You're getting more daring in your retirement, Harry. I wish I could bring Joe Lockheed out here right now so he could clear himself. The whole thing is quite self-evident. That trollop, Kara Oakley, gets taken in by rap. Everything gets hot and heavy. Oakley finds out about the affair and comes gunning after rap. I'm just sorry that it happened on my property. Well, I'm sure you are. Oakley wanted to kill rap. I'm convinced of that, but I don't think he did it. They haven't matched his pinpoint to anything. Are you defending Oakley, Alton? Bronsley produced a quick, annoying chuckle. <laughs> Jim Oakley is a Turcot employee. I touched the bourbon to my lips and paused. I guess that liability got him indicted. Enough of this, cried Desmond. Save your verbal prowess for the courtroom, Harry. I have only one question. Where is Joe Lockheed? I'm hiding him upstairs, said Desmond, and he threw back his head and laughed. <laughs> and what happened at IP5? asked Patno. Oh, a question from the good inspector. You don't have to answer anything. I know that, Alton, I know that. Let me say whatever happened within my company. You mean your father's company, I said. No mind. I will say that we had a technical problem out at IP5, which has been corrected, and had nothing to do with Rapp's murder. It did if your boy Oakley killed Rapp, said Patno, because Mrs. Oakley's knowledge allowed Rapp to blackmail Lockheed. 
<laughs> you have an overactive imagination, Inspector. Let me add my two cents, I said. How are we to know that Oakley wasn't here to kill Lockheed? Bardsley moved in closer. That's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Oh, is it? How do we know Oakley wasn't going to take the fall for the whole mess-up? You're very clever, Mr. Cobb, said Bardsley, pushing his tongue along his cheek. You propose a cover-up and then assign your own lame theories to back it up. Nothing would surprise me at this point, I said. Tell me more about your relationship with Ariana, Desmond. You ever bet her down? His double-take was worth the trip out to the Turcotte Dome. I can't say the thought hasn't crossed my mind, but the answer is no. You sound like the rejected suitor. Are you following me around or just sending that Asian man to keep tabs on me? Or even try and kill me? You, sir, said Bardsley, are pushing your luck. Am I? Get out! I've had enough of you, Harry, said Desmond, and he pointed across the grounds. Oh, I'll get out. And you can do whatever the hell you want to do about IP5. Cover it up, lie about it, I don't care. But God help you if you hired that guy to trail me, or worse. Oh, you can speak plainer than that, said Bardsley. Point has been made, I said as my zip sounded. I looked down at the flashing red light. Can I assume that we have a secure area, or are you going to listen in on my calls? I would assume nothing, said Desmond, as he retreated into the house with Bardsley following. Patino peered at me and finished his jaffron. So much for Turcotte cooperation. I don't need his help. I'll get to the bottom of this. That was a good point about Oakley. What if he was out there to kill Lockheed instead of Rab? I set down the bourbon without finishing it. Having met the alluring Mrs. Oakley... I must say, this probably isn't the first time Jim Oakley confronted the problem of marital infidelity. Well, that's true, said Patineau, as Rudy appeared in the doorway. I take it you gentlemen will not be staying for dinner. Did he have dinner planned? I asked. Yes, he did. Enjoy yourself, Rudy, I said, and Patineau and I started down the stairs. I glanced at my zip. I'm not answering this call until we're in the Rover bus and have cleared the Turcot Dome. Rennie materialized on the rover bus's bumpy window. He was inside a food galley and munched on a hot dog. Harry, the image is bad. We're on a Turcotte connector road to Livingston. I apologize. What have you got? You won't like it, mate. I'm already having a lousy day. What is it? Ariana. She inherited all of Caldwell's money. The whole blippin' estate. My mouth opened, even though I didn't want it to. She needed to maintain her lifestyle and apparently knew how to do it. I thought back to the evasive Desmond in the dome. Rennie, I also need to know if she's got anything going with Desmond Turcott, business or pleasure. Will do. He took a few bites of the dog and then wiped the mustard off his lips. Now, Samantha Evans, the credit is locked tight as a drum. Are you saying you can't get into it, I asked? Not at all. This may take some time. I know a trader named Glut who can find the right people to get the information. Whatever you have to do, Rennie. Good. Glut will get it. I'll call you as soon as I hear something. Thank you, Rennie. Patino rolled his eyes. What's the matter, John? I pretend I didn't hear that about Glut. He slid along the bench. But don't you find it odd that she got all his estate? I do. My zip flashed, and Max's name was on the zip window. Yes, Max, what have you got? I just picked up your call to 
conversation with Rennie from the office archive. This high lifestyle is something I wanted to speak to you about. She goes through money like an altered in a system con trader. Jody stepped up next to him. She spoke in a monotone. Her face remained flat. She has lived in a manner atypical of her annual allotment from amalgamated surrogates. Conversely... What my unemotional friend is saying here is Ariana has whooped it up in the Aegean. Code is there. Where? The Riviera, I answered. Amalgamated surrogates is not physically sound. She's gone through all the old man's money, said Max. Really? I was shocked by the apparent turmoil surrounding her. Is that a motive for murder? And what's the Turkar connection? I heard Rennie ask you that. We'll check into that, too. What's your next move, Harry? Max, I may leave for Platinum City in the morning, I said, as Patino pointed to the arrangement in his zip window. A charge of murder was just read against Oakley, and he pleaded not guilty. But right now, I'm not sure who killed Jason Rapp, or better yet, why they killed him. Chapter 14 All evening, I was distracted inside Patino's habitat. While his grandchildren played in the far room, I sat with Patino and Gwen and two neighbors, but my thoughts centered on Ariana, neatly collecting Samantha Evans' lover's estate like a winner at a roulette wheel. I relished the time I had spent with Ariana, and found her remarkably charming, seductive, and pleasant. Yet the lavish life she led made her vulnerable because she needed to secure funds to feed her desires. In my dreaming, I had assigned financial need as a motive for murder. But why rap? Harry, said Gwen. I'm sorry, I said, and my head snapped back. Tell us what your feeling is about building additional drones on the surface. I raised my brows and assumed a more conversational posture. Well, additional domes are a necessity for a booming economy and prosperity for all of us. Plus, there are population concerns on Earth. That's true, said the neighbor. But why us? Why not? We've barely touched the surface here on Mars. My mind replayed a conversation with Oakley from two hours ago. He denied any notion to kill Lockheed, but still refused to divulge the IP-5 problem. Heck, they've already started charging droids at the Pathfinder and Viking sites up north. It'll be just like Earth, said Patno. I agree with Mr. Cobb to a point, said the neighbor. Patno stood. Anybody want any more Jaffron? Oh, you've got to take her here, John, I said. All right, I have one Jaffron, said Patno as he headed toward the kitchen. One, of course, for myself. Excuse me, I said, and headed behind Patno into the next room. I apologize, John. I can't even think. Patno poured the green jaffron from a pewter hourglass carafe. You want to leave? You mean for Platinum City? Yeah, he said, and refilled my mug. But what do I say to Ariana? Hey, you murdered Rap because you're a big spender. Oh, she has questions to answer, like... Where she was exactly during the day Rap was killed. Did she know Evans? When's the last time she saw Evans? Oh, it's all covered. Even if she did it, where's the proof, Johnny? Patno raised his bushy brows and sipped the Jaffron. Then he exhaled. Her arm. We need it examined. We find scar tissue and we know she wore that tea suit. That isn't going to happen, John. 
I'm sure Oakley didn't kill Rap, and I agree with what you said. Rap was after Lockheed. Damn that, Desmond. Patnell put his arm around my shoulder. Harry, let your people in the field do their work. Relax. Maybe you're right. My zip sounded. So much for relaxing. I'll give you some privacy, said Patnell. No, stay. I opened up the channel. Harry Cobb. Harry, this is Rennie. I didn't think I'd get you live. I did some digging in Platinum City. You have something? I asked, and I looked at Patno. He sipped more Jaffron. I do. Ariana likes to fire pulses. How do you know this? I checked the pulse of firing ranges. Over the past few years, she has alternated between two ranges. There's a Class A firing license. I'm out of here. What was that, mate? I said I'm heading back to my hotel room, getting my containments, and taking the late shuttle to Orbitus. I can meet you in Platinum City in ten hours. You want me to talk to Ariana? Asked Rennie. No. No, keep digging. I'll talk to her. Believe me. I'll talk to her. Forty-five minutes later, I checked out of the Dillon, was on a five-story escalator. My Asian friend, now wearing silver fatigues, appeared on the second floor. He quickly ducked into a side corridor, and I pulled out my zip. I was connected to hotel security. I descended to the first floor and onto a shorter escalator. For the next hour, we searched the hotel, but once again, he had slipped away. I called Desmond from the port terminal and was surprised when he actually took my call. I didn't see Bardsley, but Brandon Turcott was in Desmond's office. Desmond found my assertions about the Asian man amusing and taunted my impotence in the investigation. I hung up and stepped into the scanning counter. After I was scanned and on the shuttle ramp, I suddenly suspected Desmond's link to Ariana was more than social. I took my recliner seat up front and prepared to sleep once we reached orbit. While I waited for the shuttle's departure, I accessed an old western movie and put on my ear covers. I viewed the movie as the shuttle taxied on the port runway. The air whooshed, and with a plethora of noises, we moved into the port surrounds. Once on the main runway, and exposed to the outside atmosphere, I glanced up at the stars. Ariana had agreed to meet with me when I first saw her on Orbitus, but only as a diversion to her true intent. The three internal engines produced a low hum as the shuttle angled up, and the horses in the movie crossed a dusty plain on Earth. Cowboys hoisted guns into the blue sky as they entered the western town. These men looked mean, and the townsfolk cowered along the street's boardwalk. I half grinned and extended my legs, and was pushed into the recliner during the acceleration. Once again, my zip sounded. I rolled my eyes and stopped the movie playback and plugged in my zip. Max and Jody stood in the sunshine on a city sidewalk. Harry, we have something significant. Well, tell me it involves someone other than Ariana Cervantes. Not directly, but amalgamated thirties. I fought the acceleration forces. I see you're leaving the planet. You want us to call back? No, no, tell me. I don't want to wait. Raps insurance policy. The recipient is a woman named Angel Vidal, B-I-D-A-L. She lives in Platinum City now. I called Rennie. Good. We sold 25 years ago by a guy who worked only for a short time for Amalgamated. His name was Mark LaBelle, listed as residing here in Baltimore, 
but we can't find him. At least not yet. I never watched the rest of the movie, nor could I sleep once the flight smoothed out to Orbitus. In Platinum City, the woman I thought was attracted to me, who may have even contemplated a longer relationship, now topped my list of Jason Rapp's killers. I had trouble with her wishy-washy story about being alone in the Orbitus Hotel on the day of the murder. Private transport records checked by Patino, while incomplete, showed no evidence of Ariana or Samantha Evans making private arrangements for a flight to Livingston. Link Transport, a company subsidized by Turcotte Chondroits, flew regular freight and passenger trips from Orbitus to the Martian surface. My attempts to check the records were halted by flight clerks, so I called Patino. He was interested in the link angle, but would go to court if necessary to obtain the passenger list. While everyone slept in the shuttle, I worked in the window connections using a transcan service to access her name and attempted to construct a record of her public movements from six years ago at the time of the Evans and Caldwell deaths. I found accounts of her hosting numerous social events. What guarded my attention was a listing of people attending an event at the Cervantes estate outside the city later in that year on September 30th, 2139. Both Caldwell and Samantha Evans were listed as invited guests. I crossed the date of her disappearance with a party date. The first report of Evans's disappearance was from her home in Baltimore only six days after the party. The window blazed with the report as I leaned back in the recliner. If I accepted my own logic, I would admit Ariana eliminated Evans as a rival to Caldwell's estate and then absorbed part of Evans' credit. Yet no open transactions involving Samantha Evans's credit occurred from October 3, 2139, until the check-in at the Dillon just a few days ago. The only reason the Dillon transaction, as well as the Rover rental, occurred was because of new security procedures requiring a credit payment. I continued my reasoning and concluded Ariana, if she really had access to Evans's credit, was befuddled by the new regulations when arriving on Mars on the day of the murder. My eyes ached. I pinched my nose and thought back to the Barsoom Dome. That time in the jagged mountains near the towering falls pouring into the gorge was an idyllic fancy, capped with my obvious idealization of Ariana. Plain facts were always indisputable in the face of bias and strong emotions such as love. I wanted to believe, just as I had the other night in Livingston, of a greater love between the two of us. Yet she had never contacted me, even with my repeated memos, after we left Barsoom. I just didn't want to believe she was capable of operating within a world outside my own realm, and her list of lovers beguiled sensibility. I shut off the window and wanted to sleep, but could only keep my stinging eyes closed. Maybe I was dead wrong in my suspicions. A simple alibi on Orbitus would clear Ariana of any complicity in Rapp's murder, and a scan of her skin at the point where the cold burn would have set in would absolve her. The existence of Samantha Evans would also remove Ariana from the suspects. I questioned whether any of those facts could tilt in Ariana's favor as we neared Orbitus, but I sensed such evidence would only accumulate against her. At three in the morning, I walked into an Orbitus port restroom. I splashed water and a tingling barsack lotion on my face. The soothing vapors seeped into my sinuses and eyes, negating the fatigue and the discomfort. 
They used to call it jet lag in the old days. Just a plain lack of sleep was enough for me. Most of my containments were aboard the Platinum City flight, now fueling above. I picked up my smaller containment, but quickly dropped it and grabbed my pulsar when I heard another pulsar's charging hiss in the stall ahead. I was tired enough to make the stupid move of racing forward. I kicked open the stall as the disposer sounded, and a nimble man in a black leather suko looked into my eyes. Who the hell are you? I beg your pardon, he said in a high-pitched voice. I heard a pulsar charging in here. Sir, I don't own a pulsar. I stepped back, but kept my pulsar trained on him as he exited the stall. His dark eyes darted between the door and the sinks. Are you a security officer? Well, no, I'm a retired bureau officer. I showed him my status badge. I asked you a question, mister. Who are you? He produced a small disc, and I inserted it into my zip. George Kirby, I'm on a flight to visit my daughter in Platinum City. According to the disc, he was telling the truth. Additionally, the scan showed he was employed by Link Transport as a mechanic. So, you work for Desmond Turcotte? Well, the Turcots have a controlling interest in Link. Really? Do you know Ariana Cervantes? No. Listen, I don't need to be questioned like this. You know what the penalty is for disposing of a pulsar here on Orbitus? He just stared at me. Fifteen years at a level two detention colony. You want to tell me why you're following me? You can call my daughter. Maybe I will. I scanned his image into my zip. And is that legal? He asked. As legal as it needs to be. You can go, Kirby, and you tell Desmond I'm not dropping this. He took back his disc and tucked it in his wallet and didn't say anything more as he left the restroom. I followed him out the door and found it interesting he didn't have a bag. Within seconds, I memoed the incident to Orbitus and Platinum City Security. I added memos to Link and to Patno, but I wasn't sure whether Kirby had any evil intent. As I headed up the escalator, I also questioned why Desmond would want me dead. Only if he believed I might uncover whatever happened in IP-5 would he take steps to get me out of the way. When I reached Terminal Level 1, I took my speculations about Ariana to a higher level. I must have presented a direct threat to her. Through the silcoplast, as I looked at the long, sleek blue ship, bright white in the hebons, capped by the starry dome, the containments moved up the transport conveyors, and huge silver food modules were stowed in the side compartments. My zip sounded. I squinted. My eyes were tired, and I pressed my lips as I pushed the button. A memo had just arrived from Max. I had another ten minutes before I boarded. I sat in the first recliner along the silcoplast and pushed the playback as I panned the terminal for Kirby. The memo began. Harry, I'm assuming you're sleeping. Perhaps a bad assumption. I located in my scans another pinpoint murder six years ago. This guy, Bill McCann, was shot to death on June 19th, 2145. Max raised his finger. He was insured by amalgamated sureties. I know this because Mark LaBelle was listed as the salesman. I found that in the legal transaction library, policy number 63401-2987, dated February 1st, 2120. LaBelle sold him the policy at the Vacation Space Resort. McCann continued to live on Vegas for the next 25 years until his death. 
Max sneered at Jody and continued. The pulses were untraceable because the shot was quick and precisely applied to the chest. I remind you of Ariana's proficiency with the pulses. If she were involved with Caldwell, she would have access to his pulser, Harry. I find it hard to believe he sold both Rapp and McCann policies from amalgamated thirties, and they were both killed by a pinpoint. Enjoy your flight. Enjoy my flight. Chapter 15 I slept a full seven hours in a weightless berth aboard the ship. Before we docked at Platinum City, I scoured under warming beams and changed my clothes. I stepped into my cabin with a controller that opened the drapes. The silver spiked Platinum City cluster dominated the night sky. My eyes shifted to the center dome, now glowing platinum against the space in the terrestrial living area. I shook my head as I buttoned my suko and conjured up images of the Cervantes estate in the country, away from the pointed city buildings. Confronting Ariana was my problem both personally and professionally. Patno's investigation was obfuscated by the Turcots, and possibly by even Ariana herself. I would be the only one who had the slightest chance to find the truth. In an hour, I was due to meet Rennie at the Adriatic Lounge and talk to Angel Vidal, the recipient of Rapp's insurance policy. My zip memo lights flashed red. I accessed the first memo. I want you to know that Burroughs' policy is the next in the numerical sequence for McCann. Both were murdered by pinpoint. I find that very interesting. Thought you'd want to know that. Oh, I do. You have a patent, my friend. I said to the playback. I hit the button again, and Sadie came on the screen. Hi, Harry. I just heard from Oakley. He says he fears for his life and wants another lawyer. He says he'll put up his habitat for collateral. I wasn't sure whether Sadie was back in the office, so I put my finger on the memo pad. Sadie, this is Harry. Have somebody from Bob Quinn's office defend Oakley. All bills to my office. I'll be going with Rennie at the Adriatic Lounge in a half an hour. Let me know how you make out. I left the zip and leaned on the sill overlooking Platinum City's spike buildings. My investigation was open-ended, but I was sure I would need every detail if I were going to confront Ariana directly. The Adriatic's balcony provided a stunning view of the sharp-edged, iridescent, platinum dome scrapers, forming a wide canyon overlooking the rolling, forested hills into the countryside. The city was so large that clouds, usually thin wisps, formed thousands of meters above the surface. My zip sounded. Cobb. Harry, it's Rennie. Turn around. I spun at the rail and saw the sandy-haired Rennie sitting with a well-preserved woman with light orange short hair and a silky blue costume. Rennie smiled. What do you say, mate? I lifted my zip to my mouth as I headed toward the restaurant tables. I say, you're getting billed for this call. My pleasure. I clipped the zip on my belt as Rennie stood in his denim suko and extended his hand. I've been digging. Good, what have you got? Rennie motioned toward the woman. Harry Cobb, meet Angel Vidal. Angel stood, revealing more than I wanted to see of her a little oval breast. She was loaded with cheap perfume and spoke with an earth accent, probably from New York or New Jersey. Mr. Cobb, a pleasure, I'm sure. Call me Harry and please sit down. Rennie ordered drinks. He squinted as he spoke. 
Ari, Angel, as I told you, will get 619 droids. Excuse me, Angel, do you have your policy number? Sure, I guess I do. Can I see it? Yeah, she said and placed a woven leather pocketbook onto the table. She dragged out a dozen envelopes, pads, and a fingernail polished canister. Let me know if it's 63401289. She unfolded several papers wrapped in blue thicker paper. That's it. How did you know? Lucky guess, I said, and I winked at Rennie. Is there a date on this policy sold to wrap? February uh, 24, 2120. See, I was there. You were? Yeah, I, I was a dancer on the Naismith. Jason, well, he was my friend on the ship. He was in this uh, poker game with... Mark LaBelle, I said. I ain't got that good a memory from 25 years ago, but the guy lost big time to Jason. Jason told me later he cheated him out of the policy. Jason put me as the beneficiary of the policy because of, well, well, for my services performed, if you know what I mean. Yes, I understand, Miss Vidal. So you live here in Platinum City presently? Yes, sir, Mr. Cobb. When's the last time you saw Jason Rapp? Three years ago. He was still uh, still the same old Jason. I bet he was. I looked at Rennie. Let's connect the dates of McCann's and Burroughs' policies. We can already place McCann in Vegas and Burroughs on Mars. Probably part of LaBelle's trails if it was around the same time period. What do you make of it, Harry? Salesman making a living. What else do you have? Excuse me, Angel, said Rennie. We both stood and walked to the rail. I think I found somebody on the amalgamated payroll. He checked into the Dillon when you were there the previous night. He was in the company Habitat on Orbitus. His name is Lo Hoy. Oh, good work. I'd like to know where he is right now and that other guy, Kirby, in the men's room. That would be a coincidence. You have his image. No matches to George Kirby on the general listing. He's like a ghost. I've got people working on the other files. What about Evans's credit? Glut is supposed to get back to me at any time. He'll get to the bottom of it. I heard your memo about Oakley. I believe him. His life isn't worth a plug nickel. Bob Quinn will send somebody to Livingston. Can you get any deeper into the amalgamated records? I doubt it. Maybe we need covert activity. Harry, I'll do whatever you want. Can I say something? Sure. Think your relationship with Ariana is pushing you into an area you might want to let the authorities go. Nobody will pursue it. And maybe you're right, Rennie. Maybe it is personal. As soon as we're done here, I'll go back to my little hotel and, and then be boarding a tram to the amalgamated building. If she's not there, I'll take a tracer to the Cervantes estate. Rennie put his hand on my shoulder. Ari, if she's the killer, she must be ruthless. I don't know why, but somebody so cold-hearted isn't going to spare you because of a few days ten years ago in the Basum Dome. I have to know the truth. It's your call, mate. Buzz me if you need me. I just may do that. From the vantage point of a small tram station park, the disc-shaped amalgamated Surdy's building, dotted with luminous square windows, was set atop a rigid tripod grid within the city's pointed structures. The trams to the city ran every 15 minutes. I just learned when I called the main building that Ariana had a late meeting and would not leave for another 30 minutes. I never understood the power Ariana commanded until I gazed at that massive building. 
writing policies and insuring large entities made her father a fortune. For Ariana, with her extravagant lifestyle, to fritter away any of that money seemed incomprehensible. And apparently, she had risked the company itself or at least made bad judgments on company investments. What bothered me as I paced the bricks were three policies, all in numerical order and all connected by pinpoint pulse or deaths. I pushed my zip and connected to Rennie. At first, he appeared on the darkened window zip, but I quickly moved under the soft orange he bonds and, and plugged into a window up ahead. He was still with Angel Vidal, and she looked drunk. Rennie, those three policies, I'm not an insurance guy, but what's the big attraction? It isn't like Angel is getting a whole lot of compensation here. No, no, she's not. Maybe we need to look at it from the other end. What do you mean? What has Amalgamated got to gain by all this? Asked Rennie as Angel put her arm around his ribs. On the contrary, they are out, what is it, 619 droids. Come on, that's a few nights out on the town. I'm sure Angel doesn't mind. I don't mind. She said, slurring her words. Rennie removed her arm and leaned toward the window. Insurance companies make their money by predicting the odds of loss and investing money to cover the loss at the best rate. Sure, I understand that, Rennie, but how the hell do these policies reflect in what you're saying? I don't know what they do with the money taken in by this guy, LaBelle. I stared at the amalgamated building. That's the key. What is their return on these policies? I need more rackets. They're as tight as... He paused as Angel kissed his neck. <laughs> They're uh, tight. We may just have to figure this out on our own. What is their return? I asked and heard the city tram approach. The first car appeared in the late afternoon light around the tree-lined bend. I have to go, Rennie. Solve my problem. I'll give it my best shot. Do me a favor, Harry. What's that? Check in with me every six hours. I don't trust her. Agreed on both counts. I unplugged the zip and hurried back to the platform. The levitated tram approached along the concave track, rocking gently and slowed. I entered a nearby empty car as the doors opened vertically. I sat back in the soft recliner with my back to the building and thought about Rennie's warnings. Reasoning directed me away from confronting Ariana, but pride and a natural curiosity stirred as the tram pulled away from the station. I moved away from this isolated portion of the city where the forest ended and a slew of habitat buildings rose from the ground. Slowly I tapped my fingers on the armrest and wished I knew more about the insurance business, but I was certain that Rennie with his streetwise savvy, would translate any details about these policies. I noticed my zip was flashing and touched my index finger on the pad. With my eyes closed, I listened to an audio memo from Patno left 45 minutes ago. Harry, I hope this memo finds you well. FYI, Oakley and Lockheed. Out of the thin Martian air, our good friend Mr. Lockheed has popped up at Oakley's pre-trial hearing. He has testified under oath, and I have all the testimony, if you want it memoed, that Oakley killed Rap. No, 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 I said and looked around the car. I first must say that I don't believe a word of it, and Robert Quinn's associate, Damian James, really put the screws to him, asking him why he called him this days ago. He asked Lockheed why and where he was hiding. Apparently, he was at IP-7 the whole time, which to me is unconscionable on Desmond's part. Here's my take on it. 
I think Lockheed is saying exactly what the Turcots want him to say in order to take Desmond out of the picture because of this IP-5 thing. We found from our subpoenaed plant records that Desmond, Oakley, and Lockheed met 11 times over the past two weeks. I know you're pursuing the Ariana leads and we've talked to you directly, but I wonder if Desmond ordered both Lockheed and Oakley to kill Rap, but Oakley got him first. No, John, no. When James cross-examined both men about IP-5's problems, Art and Bosley objected, claiming IP-5's potential problems had nothing to do with the rap murder. Maybe, I said to my zip and glanced up at the amalgamated building, hovering close as I neared the heart of the city. Patino continued. Judge overruled, but neither men would talk about it. Desmond sat there with a smug smirk on his face, and I would have liked to have wiped it off with a left hook to the jaw. Another memo flashed. I paused Pat Node's memo. Rennie was at the railing overlooking the city. Yes, Rennie. Harry, Glut has nothing on Evans at this time, but he's close. What he did find is Amalgamated is in serious trouble. Maybe more than we thought. She owes Platinum City back taxes on the Cervantes estate. Glut thinks the whole company could easily go down. A fearful twinge swept my stomach. I just talked with Jody. She and Max are gathering information on another pinpoint death related to an amalgamated policy. As he spoke, a live memo flashed. The tram slowed at a platform directly under the amalgamated building tower. Max's image was not clear until I fully exited the tram. Max, Rennie says you found another policy. This is getting very interesting. A guy named Hal Anderson worked with the Turcotte-owned Link Transport on Orbiters, killed by a pinpoint to the head. A precise hit. Anderson was killed the day before Billy McCann, and his policy number ends in 86, in direct numerical connection to McCann, Burroughs, and Rapp. It was a ridiculous policy, only worth 259 droits upon his death. What's going on here, Max? May I speculate? Harry, asked Jody. Please do. If we extrapolate the mean value of the existing policies and the projected rising investment acceleration, the resulting allocation of the funds would be a direct ratio of the first investment. What the hell does that mean? Asked Max. Talk English for Pringle's sake, will you? See what I have to put up with? What are you saying, Jody? I asked as I looked directly up through the metal grids toward the building disc hundreds of meters above me. Are you saying that any of these policyholders could cash in the policies? I asked. I think that's what she means, said Max. The longer they live, the more valuable the policy becomes. And Harry, we found Mark LaBelle, but he's not in good shape. Well, what does LaBelle say? Not much. He's in a rehab facility with brain degeneration. He's undergoing reinvigoration therapy right now, but he can't even speak. We're asking him yes and no questions, but he tires easily. I again looked into the shadowed underbelly of the amalgamated disc. So, we have the president of the company killing policyholders. Why not one of her own people do the job? Like Lo Hoy. I'm convinced he tried to kill me. I don't know about that, said Max, pressing his lips. I'm just wondering how many of these policies LaBelle sold. Where was the Anderson policy sold, Max? 
Well, it seems as though he took a trip to Mars 25 years ago and sold policies along the way. I tried toward the central elevator. What does this have to do with Desmond's ore problems? Maybe nothing. Have Rennie check Link Transport. That would be a convenient way to leave Orbitus, travel to Rap, kill him, and get back before the actual shuttle flight to Mars. That would link Desmond. As much as he's unscrupulous in business, I don't peg him as a killer. Nor do I. Perhaps they shared a commonality related to social interactions and possibly minor business transactions. Max tightened his eyes. I never thought I'd say this, but I agree with Jody. Well, this could be a moment of historic proportions. I smiled and entered the clear silco-plast elevator. Harry, are you still planning to meet with Ariana? I'm unannounced and about to be transported to the top of the amalgamated disk. Be careful. She's a killer, and you just mentioned somebody else could have carried out these killings. She must enjoy killing. The statement sent a chill throughout my body. The car rose into the grid tower and soon provided a view of the rolling countryside toward the Cervantes estate. Well, I have other issues, Max. I uh, fully understand. What does he mean? Asked Jody. I thought we discussed in great detail all the issues. I'll explain later, Jody. He said, rolling his eyes. Good luck, Harry. Thank you. I cut the zip and leaned my head against the wall as the car moved above Platinum City. What again concerned me was Max's thought about Ariana having a predilection for murder. My mind retreated to the Barsoom Dome ten years ago. I had once fallen in love with Ariana, and she left me. As the elevator raced past silcoplast transparencies of halls and offices, I realized I could easily fall for her again. LaBelle sold the policies 25 years ago, and someone was slowly eliminating the policy holders. Were there any more policy holders, and were they targeted by Amalgamated or Ariana? I unclipped my zip and sent a memo to Patino. John, I'm finding Amalgamated policy holders are killed in numerical sequence of policy. Amalgamated is also in serious financial trouble, and so is Ariana. Oh, and one for the road. A dead policyholder, Hal Anderson, worked for Desmond's Link Transport. I'm wondering if that's how Rapp's killer got to Mars. Put that in you, Jaffron. I attached the policy information. I'm going to talk with Ariana. Keep me briefed on Lockheed and Oakley. The car slowed and the door slowly opened to a spacious main lobby with a glossy floor and a silcoplast span above Platinum City. I hesitated and wasn't sure whether to drop the whole investigation. I was hired by no one now, and had no vested interest in Oakley's freedom. Still, I walked forward toward the window marquee. I had to confront Ariana. With Lockheed still missing, Oakley is indicted. Cobb and Patno finally ramrod their way into Desmond's estate, enraging his lawyer and Desmond himself. Then Rennie contacts Cobb and informs him that Ariana Cervantes inherited all of Caldwell's estate. Even Max is concerned with Ariana's lifestyle. Cobb returns to Orbitus, pursuing Ariana, who is headed for Platinum City on Orbitus. And then the deaths of the insurance policyholders point toward amalgamated surrogates, policyholders killed in numerical sequence. And Cobb is heading to Platinum City to a lady that he loves, but a lady who enjoys killing. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Robert P. Fitton on Earth, far away from Platinum City, taking the plane to an undisclosed location. But I will be back next week for the incredible conclusion and epilogue to Harry Cobb, The Dust of Mars. Good evening. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.